All right, everybody. Welcome to Luck Meeting Number Twenty Four. Alumna, yet back in action. Today, you're very lucky to have just Ellery Johnson and myself, Andran. No guests this week. Uh, giving our fellow PhD students a little rest from being terrorised by us. But we have other important things to discuss. Namely that next week is the Sydney Science Festival. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, it's And there are heaps of interesting things happening, which I wasn't fully aware of until maybe about a day ago. But Yeah, no, there's heaps on. So, yeah, I thought we'd have a chat about what's on today and pick some of our favourites. And Yeah, and get people excited about it. Because if you don't tell people about things, they generally aren't going to find out themselves, maybe. No, Maybe no by chance. So we can promote a few things that they're interested in. Yeah, not unless you're a real nerd, you go and look for stuff. I like Ellery does. <laughs> yeah. I like that. I had a look. I went to some stuff last year. It was fun. Oh, that's good. I didn't go to anything last year. Uh, I went to like a lecture somewhere and a lecture downstairs someone had on in the room. Hmm. Awesome. Yeah, it was good. All right. Well, let's get into some of our top picks. <laughs> you start. Fine. I'll start. Yeah, I reckon we'll have some crossover. What's that? I reckon we'll have some crossover. Okay. For sure. Well, let's see if this is true. But yeah, I have a few top picks of things that I would like to go see. So, one of them is James Cameron challenging Ooh. the Ooh, did you see that one? I saw it. Did you not note that one? No, I didn't, know. I didn't write that one down. I was like, yeah, right. Well, I thought it was pretty cool. So, it involves an interactive look at the bottom of the sea floor. So, James Cameron built that crazy challenger something something of avatar and titanic something. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yes thank you Deep in case deep. anyone didn't know who james cameron is some people live under rocks that is true anyways he built some crazy submarine that is able to go down to the deepest known point on the earth's seabed which is apparently eleven thousand meters deep so it's somewhere in the mariana trench who yeah. knows but it's down there and basically you get to go and sort of feel like you're sitting in the pilot seat, exploring. So is it like a 3D movie or... Um, well, like it's inter- yeah, it's interactive. So there's definitely a movie, but then there's also um, items that they've collected from the bottom of the sea floor cool. that you can actually investigate and look at scientifically and this and that and cool. discover them. So I thought that's kind of cool because what, what is it? Something like we've only discovered 5% of the oceans? I think so. So that's kind of crazy. Because that's the machine he conceptualised and ended up building for the Titanic film, wasn't it? Something like that. I think he did some upgrades. <laughs> What's some upgrades. his deal? He's he's just rich. Yeah, as a and a mad movies, nerd. He's, okay. I think he's still making Avatar 2, right? Yeah, that's been in the works for that's a while. That's been like 10 years or something. I don't know. I made that up. But that's been a few years. But he's definitely still in the movie scene. Okay, um, okay. Isn't, doesn't, doesn't he do um, Transformers or something? That's Michael Bay. Oh, shit. Sorry. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> no, God. <laughs> okay. Because I was like, wow, that's a massive deviation. But... Yeah, no, no. I can't see Michael Bay getting involved in philanthropic events such as okay. this. That doesn't well, suit his style. James Cameron's our man. So I thought that was pretty interesting. And if you're interested, it's on the 15th, 17th, and 19th of August. 
Okay, so there's so a couple of dates there. There are a few dates if right. you're. I didn't write down dates. Interested in that? <laughs> That's cool, but people can look it up as long as they know the name of the event. Yeah, yeah exactly. Or James Cameron. He's yeah. typing names there. Indeed. True. What's so your other big one? My other, my other big one, because this is something I'm pretty interested in, uh, is is bilingualism good for your child's brain? Ooh. Yes. Coming from your own multicultural background. Personally, I am trilingual, but... you trilingual? Well, English is my third language, I will add. Piss off. Yeah, that's right. I'm so untalented. Sucker! No. We're just very fortunate to be living in English-speaking countries, but... That's the thing. I feel like being bilingual at least is really important moving forward, like nowadays. Mm. Like having English, sure, but I think if you're fortunate enough to grow in an English speaking country and you have English as your first language, you should still try to learn another language just because um, it actually is good for the developing brain. So your, those parts of your brain actually become more robust and more developed and active as a child. And people used to think that children would get confused if they had more than one language, but that's not true. No, they're way better. Yeah. Way better. So you get, your brain becomes more flexible and activated, as they say. I don't know. There's a lot of research on it. I'm not too familiar with it, but I think it's pretty, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, I think one of the issues, particularly with English-speaking countries, is the fact that English is so prominent. Yes. So you don't. And particularly where I grew up, there was no one to actually speak languages to. So yes, and that's a real difficult thing. Yeah, like I learned Indonesian for three years. Crazy. Then you wipe it. Yeah. Italian for one. And well, it's yeah. fine to learn it, but then if you're not practicing it with but someone so then, who's speaking, then you can't And you don't grow it. So yeah. If I was speaking Italian to my dad, it'd be terrible because he also doesn't know Italian. And just uh, We'd get it all wrong. Yeah. But I feel, but yeah, I see the I feel we are disadvantaged in one respect as well because, say you travel, everyone communicates in English now. Yes. You know, that's the universal language. So we, as individuals living in English-speaking country, you don't feel that urgency to learn a second language. No. Whereas if, then I think it's an, adva- an advantage to be born in a country where, you know, English isn't your first and then you are forces learn a second language oh yeah and it's but so that's our perspective from this side of it yeah well that's my perspective some people don't care but okay cool yeah I think that's so cool. is that just the Plus, learning about the plasticity of the yeah, brain and stuff like that for your exactly. children exactly if I ever all those children you've if got I, if I ever have children I'm going to make sure they learn they can speak four languages okay don't don't bog them down too early <laughs> Just saying, in case I want them to be prepared in case they take over the world or they potentially want to work for the UN one day, that is a requirement, mm. you know? How many languages for the UN? Is it, I thought it was like five. A couple. Well, I'm going to make sure I'm going to make sure they're hell qualified for that. Can you write in your other two languages? In Vietnamese, yes, not in Chinese. The characters are just messed up. What are characters like in Vietnamese? It's phonetic, like it's actual alphabet. So it used to be a it long... It uses long... the Greek Latin alphabet. Yeah, it uses cool. normal letters. So back in the day, Vietnam was like colonised by China. So it was characters, but then they got colonised by the French. Uh... And then the alphabet changed into letters. Right, because yeah. like Thai writing 
is just a still mess, weird. same as Cambodian. I'm just like, yeah, Whoa. there's still lots of weird like curls and swirls, but no, this is actual. Okay, so they use phonetic, and we've got accents and all of that kind of thing. Letter letters, yeah. Got any more? Um, yeah, and then my final one, which I thought was very interesting, is ethics, emotions, and elegance in AI. Okay, yes. walk me through that. Mm. Strangely, we've had no crossover. Oh, but whoa. I didn't see that one. Ah, but I was like, okay. So basically, this one is talks about how AI behavior is informed increasingly by learning from the data that they discover or data that we provide them. Mm-hmm. So then it starts to question to what extent are their decisions becoming ethical? And what extent do they become aware of the consequences of their own output? And if they can alter their own output according to their own learning and, you know, their own... Their own... Perceptions Choice and decision, yeah. Um, at that point... And then, you know, how does that influence our lives and shape our environment and... And at that point, do they become sentient? They become, Holy shit! They become sentient if they can make conscious decisions based on data inputs because that's well, all we receive is maybe. external stimulus. Well, I guess the question is, yeah, at which point do they what? become sentient? Or, But you know how they have the Turing test and the computers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, has, com- have computers beat the Turing test? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure. I think so. I think they've got AI that's beating that now. Not with like I'm sure, yeah, super have, supreme but regularity, yeah. but but then isn't that concerning? Because the no, it's concerning for me. Yes, <laughs> it's entirely concerning for me. I don't know what other people think about it, but yes, I'm concerned. Yeah, so that's one thing I was I thought was quite interesting, but yeah, I be, I bet you get a few wackos going to these kind of events. <sighs> Well, I don't want to call. Look, oops, sorry, Increase. I don't want to call anybody a wacko. No, 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 no. These what I was sort saying. of paranoid, sort of, or conscious, or par- I don't know. Hyperconscious. Yeah, maybe hyperconscious See, people attending these events. Increasingly, I recognise that the guys in eighties movies with tin hats on their head are me. <laughs> I'm not sure how good I feel about that. Just like, oh man, I get paranoid about stuff, I get worried about stuff. I'm like, is it just because it's all true or am I just hyping it up too far? No. Yeah. Anyway, well, they're good piece. But also, okay, so a computer AI that passed the Turing test was called Eugene Gutzman. Why are we naming AIs, by the way? Hey, are you sure AI was named that. Yes, a computer program called Eugene Gustman, which simulates a 13-year-old Ukrainian boy, is said to have passed the Turing test mm. at an event organised by the University of Reading. This is the other way they get around it, is they use a language barrier to mask stuff in the Turing test. Alright. They have read about that. So, yeah, going with another... In world first... Yeah, that's all messed up, if you ask me. Going with um, an AI that, yeah, pretends it's from another country and doesn't understand English as well, so it can pass off some of its mistakes and not understanding English. Oh, see? And at what, at what point do they learn how to do that themselves? 
well, I think it already has. <laughs> then that's how you make the test, is you no, convince no. it that you're a person. No, but it's like, okay, the it has its language, but then it develops its own language to then get confused and pass the test? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, something like that. It poses as... It poses, it poses as, as a Ukrainian boy. So that its language mistakes are masked. Okay. <laughs> yes. You worried about that? Yes. Good. Slightly. You should be. I'm going to call... I'm going to... Um, call Ghostbusters? I'm, <laughs> I'm going to put a call out for John Connor right now because yeah. this, this shit is imminent. Yes, I'm inherently worried about this, okay? <laughs> I mean, John Connor's out there, please uh, this, protect yourself. This is why we need guests, because <laughs> otherwise we get strapped in this wormhole about AI. Yeah, well... Look, it's it, interesting. It segues nicely into one of my events that I saw okay. called Good Root. So I picked all my own titles just alone, and I was like, ooh, that's interesting. Okay. Um, I like so that. this one is called Good Robot, Bad Robot, Living with Intelligent Machines. Um, Ooh, okay. Mm-hmm. So it's got speakers including Toby Walsh from USW, uh, Ellen Broad, who is an independent consultant and expert in data sharing and ethics, and Haywon Park, I hope I've got that right, but I probably haven't, she probably won't hear it, or he, <laughs> uh, who is a research, certain research scientist in the personal robots group at MIT Media Lab. So I have no idea specifically what the event is about. I just picked that. And I just thought that that would, again, ties into our ethics and how we're going to live with um, robots and AI in the future because it's certainly happening. Um, it's undeniable even it is. at the moment. Um, yeah, um, spoiler alert, there's a movie on <laughs> Netflix <laughs> called... I'm tempted to say it's called Inheritance, but I'm quite sure it's not called that. No, it's very new. I'm going to tell you what it is because it's bothering me. The one with Natalie Portman? No, it's certainly no, not that. I've never watched that because... No, that's, that's a trip. Um, everyone said that's terrible. What? I like that too. Oh, well. It's pretty out there though. I definitely <laughs> question your... Uh, you haven't watched Your decisions. You? What? You haven't watched that movie though. No, I haven't. Right, cool. Anyways, <laughs> we digress. I forget the name of the movie, so you're just going to have to find it yourself, even though I watched it a few nights ago. Is this that with I? Well, I think so. Is it I robot? No. <laughs> it is about AI and how there's debates about, you know, they're all human and whether they have get human rights and then there's a big plot twist in it. I won't spoil it. And they don't get human rights. Something, something, and it's about a battle between humans and AI. It was kind of shitty, but there was a good plot to it, so I would kind of recommend it if you're into the whole AI thing. Ex-Magna? No, it's, no it's really new. It's like, oh, it's true. Netflix's latest shitty... Shitty? <laughs> no, like down. half good shitty sci-fi edition. Anyway, you can totally see why I picked this, because we're very much into it. So Yeah, yeah I like um, it. Because yeah, one of the areas I'm interested in, technologically speaking, when we go forward is agriculture and stuff like that. Mm. So I don't, I don't think they're yet classed as intelligent machines, but there will come a point where most of our machinery is automated and 
it's no longer people out there ploughing the fields or sitting on tractors. It will all be done remotely. Mm, yes. That's so I'm not sure how that ties in, but yeah, that, that, that seems like an interesting panel. So that's, a, that's actually the Opera House. Cool, cool. I think it is a ticketed event. Most of these are... Most of them are. Well, most of these are free. Oh, are they? Most of, the, most of the... Yeah, a lot of them are free for all the universities and stuff like that. Okay. So it's just to get people in, but there are a couple of ticketed events. So that's the first one I picked. Um, then the other one, because I was just thought it would be really interesting, is the evolution of the metric system. Ooh. From precious lumps of metal to constants of nature. And that's with Ilya Budovsky, I think. No. So this year they are set to make some changes to the standard units of measurement. Um, oh, or the SI units. Hell, I've got some SI units to add. So um, where is it? Um, in November 2018, the General Conference on Weights and Measures is expected to put in place one of the most fundamental changes to the SI um, system of units since its inceptions. Um, and I think that conference, no, that conference isn't here, but it involves people from here. So it's looking at reevaluating the meter, the kilogram, and stuff because I can't remember if this is true but I think they're still housed so there are international standards that are housed somewhere in the same as so there is this kilo of something and it is a kilo so everything is compared to that everything is compared to the meter so they're looking at re-evaluating how long a meter actually is how big a kilo is or all that how much is a litre so yeah, yeah I've, who I've, decided that? Well, you don't know. Well, that's because this is one of the things in Egypt. It was always decided on the length of the pharaoh's arm, so a cubit <laughs> might change between <laughs> A and B, and then you get boy king Tutankhamun, who's probably still growing at that point. So, mm-hmm. so we do have a standardized units of measure, and like yeah. I don't want to talk about the metric, uh, the imperial system, because that's a whole like mess in itself. But yeah, I just thought that would be something really interesting because it's a, it's a history of that, so I imagine it's got um, developments towards the metric system. I'm sure the French have something to do with it as well. Yes, SI units is abbreviated from the French System International. Yeah, okay. Something, something, something. But so if, so uh, Kelvin is the SI unit for temperature. Yes. Then why don't we measure everything in Kelvin? Because... We, is that a stupid question? No, I won't. it's not a stupid question, but it's the relativity of boiling water and melting uh, melting ice or freezing water is zero degrees because otherwise we start at what is 272. Yeah, but I don't know if we started that from the beginning, then we do that. I yeah. mean, why don't the Americans have Fahrenheit? Yeah, exactly. So why don't we just, it's all very confusing. It is all very confusing. And then we always have to convert, whenever we do chemistry, we have to convert everything to Kelvin. Do you? Usually. Most of the equations are in Kelvin. So we end up converting anyway. Clearly I don't do enough chemistry. I mean, I'm not saying that when I'm baking something in the oven, I necessarily want to use all these other... You just don't want to add 270. It just makes the maths easier. Yeah, okay, fine. Who wants to bake at 452 degrees Kelvin? I got that right. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, 
Cool. So yeah, I, I thought that one would be really interesting. That's... But that conference sounds like a cracker. Yeah. That, that very specific conference. The general conference. Specific. Sorry, it's very general. So the general conference on weights and measures. Yeah. Do you reckon that's yearly? Oh my gosh. I reckon it's a hoop that thing. It's got to be because oh, they're just they'd be so focused on their work they'd have to let their hair down once a year. Yeah, look it up. Look it up. I wonder what How many people go? What's a special session like? I wonder what their uh, conference dinner is like. <laughs> Quiet? Oh, it's from the 13th to 16th of November. Where is it? It is a 26th meeting. Is it in Geneva or something? Mm. Zurich? Blah, blah, blah. Where is it? It's probably in France, let's be honest. Attendance and registration. Ooh, we could go. <laughs> How long is it to get? It'll be notoriously expensive for sure. Yeah, true. Let's see. Share on well, delegates should present their credentials. Do we need to be an expert in uh, weights and measures? Probably. Um, about oh, I don't know why it's uh, so difficult to find out this information. Because they don't want you to come. This is this is big weights and measures keeping <laughs> the little man out. Of it. Oh wait here. <gasps> Whoa! It's in Versailles. Okay, cool. Um, Holy shit! Have you got some really nice images to show me there? Well, in the Palace of Versailles. Oh, how, okay. much, how much shit did they pull that off? Isn't that where the measures are housed? Is it? Well, I mean, it makes sense that find it's in out, France. Find out where the meter and the kilogram are housed. Far out. I'm sure, I'm sure they're over there somewhere. Maybe it's in the side. I thought they were in a tower. Not unlike the Tower of London, but totally not the Tower of London. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, in the Tower of London, there's a giant like, diamond or stone up there or something. I thought it was all the Queen's jewels. Mm. No, that's coming here. Um, at St. Cloud, France. In the western suburbs of Paris. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of maybe... Yeah, it's not No, Versailles is just outside of Paris, so it could be pretty close. I have no idea about it. Anyway, it's just... I'm sorry, I don't know why that was so fascinating. I'd love to go to a conference in Versailles. <laughs> just saying. Well, become an expert with credentials on weights and measures. And yeah, I guess so. I guess so. So yeah, that I thought would be interesting. So if you are yeah, if you yeah. are interested in that, Ilya Vodolsky, I hope I've said that right again. Um, she will be out there presenting her work and talking about that. Love it. Um, what else? This sounds like science, which is a music and memory thing. Ooh. With Marine Irish. Um, so. French. No, I think she's Irish. <laughs> Marine spelled M U I R E A I N. Oh, okay. It's a very, okay. very Irish. That's name. definitely okay. I don't know how someone Irish ends up with the last name Irish as well. That's pretty, <laughs> pretty well foxed. But a uh, little bit of the blurb here is loss of memory represents one of the most devastating symptoms of dementia. Yet mounting evidence suggests that musical abilities and memory for musical pieces may be able to prepare, preserve memory in. Uh, whilst experiencing these syndromes. So it's looking at music and preservation of memory, which mm. I think is really cool. Um, and 
something that's not quite been discovered, but for example, I was talking to my housemate a couple of weeks ago, and she was playing some music that her grandmother was playing, and she was saying that her grandmother had recorded this, or her father had recorded his mother. She was like eight plus, well, but she played for the, she played like eighty songs straight, just off the top of her head, and remembered them all because they were just drilled into her. They're all like, um, I think. South American folk songs or something like that. Mm. They were really nice, but yeah. she, uh, my housemate was saying that she just played them all from memory straight off the top of her head because she could. I was like, that's really fascinating. The memory can stretch that far. So those type of things you've heard of all the time or dementia patients and you play nice music from a certain time and they just react to that immediately. So I thought that would be a really interesting um, chat to go to and see what that's about. Yeah. Um, I don't think I wrote down where it was, I but like I think it. one's over a couple of nights. And then... I've also got one more, actually. Okay, what's your last one? Getting fishy in a warmer <laughs> world. <laughs> <laughs> so our mate, Ellery Johnson, dear uh, listeners, is going to be presenting on the 16th of August from 4 to 5 p.m. at Wentworthville Library. So tell us about how you got involved in this and what it's going to be about. Um, getting involved, someone sent around an email saying, do you want to do a talk for Sydney Science Festival? Cool. So yeah, we do this. Of course, I love to do that. I like to talk. Hashtag Psycom. Mm, all that stuff. Um, yeah. So yeah, I thought, what do I actually know about? Who is this targeted to? So I'm trying to talk about the work that I'm doing, looking at how the land is connected to the rivers and the sea. Um, talking about I do fish eat trees mm-hmm. premise um, and just giving a kind of overall introduction to what life as a scientist is a bit more like. I like it. In a bit more of a relaxed setting. So yeah, yeah. If you want, I'm currently still writing that. Um, I have what as you should nine be. days to go before You've I got can get plenty of time together. Um, so when's How that? exciting. That's um, really... So yeah, that'll be fun. It's going to be fascinating. Um, I love that you're getting involved. So yeah, um, apart from me, there's a couple of other UTS people doing it. So yes, there are. The last one I had here, and I didn't even know he was presenting, I picked up um, The History of Oxygen, mm. which is a talk by Dr. Chris Hall, who's also from UTS. So he's just moved here from the US, and he'll be talking about why the... Um, just how oxygen has been involved in in our history. Um, So one of the snippets here is, learn how Australia got its famous iron ore deposits from the great oxygen event, why the evolution of wood led to the era of giant bugs, which is what I got really excited about, and many other surprises, both ancient and modern. So yeah, because we used to have a heap more oxygen in the atmosphere, our bugs used to be bigger, apparently, so they were like the size of you dragonflies the size of you so um chris is an example of someone who else is giving a talk um eva is she's doing something about tiny ocean plants cool um i know who naomi from upstairs is doing some work mm-hmm. someone else on, i think Oksana's doing is one. Oksana doing one cool i think so um there's also the coral reef um, oh, one yes. at the uts Great Hall. Yeah, Science in Focus. Yeah, Dave Booth is doing that with Emma Camp and Dave Dave Suggett. 
There's also the lens on health, which is uh, an initiative by um, our artist in residence, Lisa, to oh, work yes. with the Aboriginal Health Unit downstairs as well, so that will be interesting. Um, but yeah, there's a bunch of other different events going on. So, so many. Get in it. Yeah. Take um, your kids to the Australian Museum. Yes. Let them run wild for a few hours. Speed Meter Scientist is also on there. There's various mm. pubs that are open doing events like that. Um, what's yeah. the Sydney Science website? Is it www.sydneyscience.com? That's a great guess. You know, that is... But yeah, if you search Sydney Science Fest or... Yeah, sydneyscience.com.au. Yeah, if you search that or Sydney Science Fest or the hashtag of your money is SSF18. Mm. Um, but there's plenty out there. So if you are interested, have a look, go to something, support our scientists who are out there. Get your kids um, involved in science. Yeah, there's heaps Science of... is cool. Get them to learn early. Every time I went to click an event, I was like, click our schools. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> These are all the really interesting events. There's no excuse for children not getting into science nowadays. Um, yeah, so they're like all the little events that I thought were cool. Um, but yeah, there's heaps to be involved in, so have a go, get out there, search it, support your, your scientists out there doing their work. And um, yeah, I think that's it for us for the day. Have you got anything more to add? No, that's about it. I hope uh, I hope everyone gets to go go to the festival. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Well, if you uh, want to contact us, feel free to at Alum Not Yet on Twitter, or we're still on Facebook, yeah. or pester me individually at Pelagic Johnson, or better yet, turn up to talk I'm giving. Yes. And pester me in person. Um, yeah. Now, I think our plan is to go to favourite guest of the ah. show, Marco Giardina's Beautiful um, Marco. stage three presentation. He's about so. to submit his thesis in so two weeks. We'll probably have an upcoming episode with him on the submission of thesis process in yes. the last three months. Tune in in two weeks' time for a little dose of Marco again. Yeah. Okay. It'll be a very different analogy, I think. <laughs> For the next few weeks. <laughs> Probably. Something like weekend at Bernie's, I think. <laughs> I worry. But anyways, um, have a great week, people. Alright, cool. Let's get out of here.